Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. But if you need a Bible, raise your hand and a, a lovely usher will bring one to you. Hebrews 10. So I think Rory did a great job last week. And, um, and bless him, he found out Sunday night he came down with COVID. So he's been isolating all week, poor guy. And um, so I, I, that's kind of just what tends to happen. You kind of, God does something good in you, and then boom, you, you crash. And, but this yeah, is, yeah, we do. And this is, uh, but God's faithful. And so we want to uh, keep praying for him. And I hope I don't get COVID. I hope it goes really well today, but I don't get COVID. So, exactly. I've had it enough already. Hebrews chapter 10, you guys there? Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. I'm going to read from verse 19 to 25. So follow with me and then I'll pray. And then we'll get into it together. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And these are the two verses we're really gonna camp on tonight. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting the meet to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And Father, we thank you that your word is living and active and we need your spirit to open our hearts, to plow up our hearts, to receive your word and we pray, Lord, that you would indeed encourage us today, that we might encourage one another, Lord, that we would receive the courage we need to press on in our walks with you, to press on in our ministries one to another. Father, would you lead us in this direction? Would you fulfill this in our hearts? Would we leave today knowing, God, you've done something good in us? Please, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone who agrees says. Amen. Encouragement. We would recognize it anywhere. It's like a gentle push forward when you run out of energy. It's like seeing the familiar shape of home when you've been gone far too long. It's like sitting down to a nourishing meal after a hard day's work. It's like seeing the sun after hours of pouring rain. When someone encourages us, we stand straighter. We feel reinvigorated. We move with purpose and meaning. We are strengthened and ready for what lies ahead. Those are words from a, a Christian blogger named Christina Fox. And I thought they, they were, it was a great description because I think this is true of us. We all know what encouragement feels like. 
And we all long for that. We all long to feel that strength. We, we can see it in the word itself, to encourage, to put courage in to somebody. We want that. We know we need that. And the more difficult times that we are in, the more we need that. But what is it? What is actually encouragement? How does encouragement actually work? The, the word that's in, that we're seeing today, the word encouraging in Hebrews 12 or 10.25, it holds the idea of urging someone forward towards a course of conduct. It's not just trying to make someone feel better, but trying to help someone move in the right direction. It is about motivating actions, but it's never, listen, biblically, it's never about finding our motivation in ourselves. Biblical encouragement is less about, hey, you got this. And it's more about, hey, God's got you. God's got you. So what we're going to look at today in, in these two verses, and we're going to have all kinds of verses that get connected to this, but in these two verses, we're going to use this as a way to kind of look at what does the Bible say about encouraging one another? What truths that we need to get our heads around to, to make sure that how we're encouraging each other, how we're trying to provoke a form of conduct in the right direction, how do we do that? What should shape how we encourage one another? And so I want to look, give you kind of three basic things. If you have your handouts and you feel like filling them in, I don't know if that's helpful or not helpful. Give me some feedback later on if you think that's helpful to fill them in or not helpful. But here's what we have. The first thing we want to see, the first truth that helps us shape how we encourage one another is this. We are people prone to unbelief. Now, that's not very flattering, is it? But it's very true. And we know it's true because if you turn in your Bibles just a couple pages back to Hebrews chapter 3, we see where the author of Hebrews gives another exhortation towards encouraging one another. In Hebrews chapter 3, the author of Hebrews is actually kind of expositing or breaking down or teaching what Psalm 95 is about and applying it to these Hebrew Christians' lives. So in, in, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, this is what we read. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. No, it's interesting because if we, what we, we read just back in, in chapter 10, verse 24, was it, is that we should stir each other up. Why would we need to be stirred up to be encouraging? It seems like the most obvious thing we should do for each other. Well, one of the reasons we need to be stirred up in, in, uh, towards encouragement and why we need to stir one another up is because all of us are prone to unbelief. And unbelief, in the, in the most simplest way to define this is, uh, unbelief is really us turning away from God. This is the, the, the point A here. Unbelief is turning from God himself. That's what it is. Unbelief is less about dropping certain doctrines or questioning certain doctrines. We'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. It's more about saying, okay, God is there, but I'm just going to ignore that he's there. Or I, I kind of believe in my head or I understand in my head that the, the gospel, who Jesus is and what he's done, should convince me that God is good, but I'm not going to draw near to him. In fact, this is where, where really it looks like when unbelief starts to take hold is we stop drawing near to God. Isn't that what we read 
uh, back in Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 22. Isn't that the exhortation of because of what Jesus has done, we should draw near to God? How does he say it in verse 22? Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. And so when we stop drawing near to God, that is when unbelief is beginning to creep in. And part of this is we also, we can know this because we stop seeing repentance as a good thing. Now, now repentance, it's, it, re, repent or repentance, those are like real Bible words that are usually connected with kind of crazy guys in the street with placards. But actually, it's a beautiful, hopeful word. To repent means just to change your mind, to turn the direction of your life. Repentance is always about us not just turning from something, but who we turn to. We turn to God. Because every time we choose to go our own way, we're going away from God. And repentance is, is a good thing. It's a call to say you can turn back to God. No matter where you've been turned before, you can turn back to God. It reminds me when Peter was preaching to Hebrews, preaching to fellow Jews, just a matter of days after Jesus had ascended to heaven. And he's preaching in, in Acts chapter 3. And, and, he, and he, after he kind of lays out how Jesus gave them the power to live in Christ through his spirit, gave them the power to heal somebody, he then lays out this same Jesus whom you crucified, whom God rose from the dead. He, he shares the gospel with these Hebrews. And here's what he calls them to. He says, repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom the heavens must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Now, that last part we're going to look at towards the end. But it's important for us to see that when Peter preaches repentance to the very people who had literally just months before rejected Jesus' Messiah and commanded that he be crucified, when he calls them to repentance, he says, listen, turn back to God, because when you turn back to God, you know what you get? Refreshment. It's where refreshing comes from. But here's how we know that unbelief is creeping in. We don't turn to God. We don't draw near to him. Now, again, Hebrews chapter 3. We read, chapter, we read verse 12. Look at verse 13. In fact, I'll read 12 and 13 together again. He says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But notice, exhort one another. Same word as encouraging. Exhort one another every day. As long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He's not talking about the sin of deceit, like when we're, when we're lying about something or exaggerating about something. That is something that we, we need to repent about. We need to be honest before God when we do that. But he's not talking about the sin of deceit. He's talking about the deceitfulness of sin. Because here's the thing. Our sin, here's, this is point B, by the way. Our sin deceives us toward unbelief. Our sin deceives us towards our unbelief. How does this happen? First, what happens is we do small sins, things that aren't that big of a deal. But what happens is when we do small sins and we don't, or we're not honest to God about those small sins, those small sins become big sins by repetition. 
One of the things that I've, I, I'm still learning in my walk with Jesus is that when God begins to really convict me about something and I go, oh, Lord, forgive me. I did this, I did this again. Forgive me. Maybe it's being impatient with Sarah or being you know, snarky or something with, with someone. And I repent of that. One of the things I'm learning is that that sin that I do repent of actually was just something that was rooted in other sins that I didn't repent of. Things I didn't deal with, I didn't take to God. And so, so what happens is, each time I choose not to just be honest about where I'm at, as, as Rory did a good job, I think, showing us last week, when I don't go to God's word and expect God's word to show me what he wants and to show me where he wants me to go and to show me how he wants me to live, so there's no kind of change going on. It's only when something gets really big or I see how really bad it is do I actually begin to repent. But usually it's because I haven't repented from smaller things before. In fact, here's what happens. When we, we, we don't live in that repentance, we don't see repentance as a good thing. What happens, Sin our sin deceives us and we begin to question, well, is Jesus really that new and living way? As the author wrote in verse Chapter 10, verse 20. We begin to doubt that God will really be faithful to his promises to someone like us, someone like me. As the author was clear in chapter 10, verse 28. Now, let me be really clear about something. Questioning and doubting are part of our growth, all right? So, so we all are going to, as Jesus followers, experience time when we're questioning, wrestling with do I, do I believe the right thing? Do I know the right thing? John the Baptist, I think, is a great example of this. John the Baptist, whom God, whom Jesus said, was greater than any man born among women. The greatest of all the Old, Old Testament or Old Covenant prophets was John the Baptist. And his, in his last days, he has to send his partners in ministry to Jesus to say, are you, is, are you sure you're the Messiah? That's doubt. But it's constructive doubt. Because he takes it to Jesus and says, do I got this right? But here's what we have to understand. Listen, often our questioning and our doubting isn't that kind of positive question and doubting. It comes because we don't want to repent of a sin. We start doubting the gospel because, well, we want to do what we want to do. That can easily be the case. Now, that's not very popular to say, and, 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 I, and, I, and I don't want to be insensitive to people who are here today. If you're here today and you're wrestling with doubts and questions, don't feel like you can't share that. But just know that sometimes that can be just because there's something that God calls you to do as a Jesus follower and you don't want to do that bit. And so really what you're questioning is not the validity of who Jesus is or what Jesus has said. You're questioning your willingness to follow him. Do you, are, do you understand what I'm saying? Now again, this is about encouraging one another. This is not about, listen, this whole message is not about uh, not about looking to each other and going, oh, let's see, who's doubting, who's questioning? Sin in your life. Let's find it. Let's sniff out the sin and deal with it. That's often not very encouraging. <laughs> this is about, listen, this is about recognizing that I am prone to unbelief, that it doesn't take many trials or difficulties or very much time of me not repenting that I begin to wonder, am I where I'm supposed to be? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Do I actually believe in this Jesus? Has this Jesus actually saved me? It's easy for us to get to that place. So should we condemn each other in that? No. We should encourage each other. But we don't encourage each other like, you got this. You can believe. Just claim it. You got this. Just push forward. 
You got this, just try harder. You got this, just do. No, no, no. We encourage by saying, here's where you're going to find courage. Jesus is the, the living way. He can be trusted. God does have you, even in your doubts and your questions. Yeah, you, we can, maybe you're, you're having to wrestle with, what, where have I sinned? Where do I need to repent? The Lord's got you even in that. He's not dangling you over hell while you're trying to make a decision. He's working on you to bring you back to himself. That's how we encourage each other. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, okay, give me some details, man. Show me, give me some formulas of how to do this. Well, I don't have any. I'm sorry. Because if you go back again to chapter 10, verse 24, you see a hint uh, in, in verse 24 about how the fact there isn't necessarily any formulas in this. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another. Let us consider. The word for consider there could, could be translated to observe Observe fully. The idea is focus on the person in front of you. Observe. In other words, before we're ever going to encourage well, you know what we need to do? Listen well. One of the reasons I am not as encouraging as I'd like to be is I speak too soon. I got the answer. Greg and I share this problem. I think it's a cultural thing. I, I speak too soon. I, I, I think I see something. Oh, I see it. I know what the issue is. Here's the answer. Boom. Amen. And what happens when we do that, you know what happens when we do that? We actually can discourage instead of listening, instead of waiting, instead of hearing out, instead of asking questions. Because the issue is, it's, this is not some sort of transactional thing where we find out what someone's sin is, we cut it out, we chuck it aside. That's not the issue. The issue is we listen to see who this person who is just like me, prone to unbelief, we listen where this person is at and how Jesus can help them believe, how Jesus can be the object of their faith in that situation. And we pray for the Holy Spirit to give us the wisdom we need in that situation. We observe fully. Now this is why it's so important that we frame our encouragement around this reality that we all do struggle, listen, we struggle with unbelief. In fact, this is the uh, letter C. Individuals struggle with unbelief at different times and in different ways. Now, Scripture is really clear, right? No sin has overcome you, except no temptation has overcome you, except such as common to man. 1 Corinthians 10, right? But God with it will provide a way of escape. We know that. But it doesn't mean that every, every time you hear someone share, you're going, oh, I know what that is. I, I, I do that all the time. Sometimes we can be too quick to do that. And we're not actually encouraging people. We need just to listen. We need just to listen. Sometimes that can be helpful. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes we just need to listen, to observe fully, to consider. How can I help this person right now receive the courage to keep moving forward with God? That's encouragement. So we consider that. We're people prone toward unbelief. But here's the second bit in the first part of verse 25. We are people called to gather. We're people called to gather. Verse 25. Let us consider how to stir one another up toward love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Now, let's think about the context in which this is written. When the author of Hebrews writes this, it's probably around 62, 63, somewhere between 62 and 68 A.D. 
And you guys probably know, you guys know the Bible pretty well, so you probably know that in 70 A.D., you know your history, 70 A.D., what happens? Jerusalem gets sacked, it's destroyed. Temple's destroyed and all that. So, so if you're a, a, a Jew, if you're a Hebrew in this part of the first century, you're feeling so much tension. If you're a Hebrew that is a Jesus follower, you're feeling even more tension, even more pressure. You're getting pressure from your people, the other Hebrews who don't believe in Jesus. You're getting pushed and persecuted by them. And then you're getting pushed and persecuted by the Romans. So you're feeling the pressure of, man, this is tough to follow Jesus in this situation. Add to that that many of the Hebrews that this author was writing to were second-generational Christians. In other words, their parents were good Jews who recognized Jesus as the Messiah, either from the apostles' teaching or some of them may have even seen Jesus as Messiah and realized he is, uh, he is the Messiah. But then since then, Jesus has, of course, been crucified, resurrected, ascended to heaven. And so all they can see is the evidence of Jesus' Messiahship. They've never seen Jesus themselves. If you grew up in the church, you know what I'm talking about. If you grew up in the church, you know that feeling of, okay, I don't really have a reason not to believe this, but I'm not sure if I only believe this because my parents believe this. And so this, these, were in this, these guys were in this place. And so we need to have some empathy that the reason they were slow to gather was it was hard. It was difficult. But we also need to see from this teaching that Intentional, this is letter A, by the way. Intentional gathering is the norm for Jesus followers. The idea that you can get by by listening to something online or occasionally meeting up with a Christian friend for coffee, the idea that you can live out the Christian life by yourself is not normal. Now, there's all kinds of reasons why we can't make a Sunday service, there's no condemnation in that. But this is a reality. In fact, usually when this uh, scripture's Taught. In fact, I bet most of you have heard the scripture taught. It's like, you better be in church every Sunday, right? Now, I think it's great to be in church every Sunday. I think it's helpful for us to set aside the Lord's day to seek the Lord. I think there's wisdom in that. But this is not really about that. This is not about what day you gather. It's not even about the fact that you do gather. Listen, it's about what you do when you gather. This is letter B. Listen, mutual encouragement is God's intention for our gathering. See, the big idea that we're wanting to get across to you today is our gatherings are not about spectating, but participating. And right now you're thinking, yeah, but I'm spectating now. You're the only one gabbing on, John. <laughs> we're going to get to that, don't worry. But the truth is, this is one of the reasons why we have such a big break between worship in song and worship in the word is so that we can do the work of the ministry. Now, here's the, here's the truth about encouragement. There are some people who are particularly gifted at encouragement. It's a, it's a spiritual gift. Uh, Paul writes this clearly in Romans chapter 12. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. In other words, there is a gift of encouragement. There are some of you who are uniquely gifted to encourage others. You, you speak with somebody and they feel like, man, I want to walk with Jesus every time that guy or that woman encourages me. I just feel, I feel like when I'm with that person, it just makes me want to walk with Jesus more. Some of you have that gift. Some of you have that gift and you don't exercise it enough. Some of you have that gift and you exercise it so well and we're so thankful for it. 
But here's what we see in the book of Hebrews. We see, we'll see this in other places in Scripture today. That though some have a particular gift, all are called to be encouraging one to another. All of us. In fact, this is what our gatherings do. We, our gatherings, we're all called to gather, listen, for both equipping and encouraging. Listen to this. A famous text in Ephesians chapter 4 says this. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. And here's their responsibility. Their responsibility is to equip God's people, that's you, in case you didn't know, to do his work, not the pastor's work, God's work, to do his work and to build up the church, causing the church to mature, move in a certain direction. That's the idea of building up. To build up the church, the body of Christ, Christ makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Do you see the picture that we're getting there in Ephesians? The picture we're getting is you're called together so you can get equipped, so you can do the ministry with each other. My job is not primarily to do the ministry. My job is to equip all of you to do the ministry, and I'm just one of those guys doing the ministry with you. You following me? This is biblical. This is basic. This is so missed. This is one of the reasons I, I, I'm going to use the right words here. This is one of the reasons why I'm a little, gosh, I don't want to sound judgy. This is one of the reasons why I, I personally don't like big church. So the whole mega church thing, which is way bigger in America than it is here, but if the church is so big that you can hide there, there's something that, that makes me nervous about that. Because we're not meant to be able to hide. Now, you might feel like, well, servants is big enough, I could probably hide. Well, we're, this is one of the reason we have a break, so we can find you. <laughs> We don't want you to hide. You're not hidden from God, and yet you're loved by him, and we want you to experience that. See, here's the reality. That, 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 that not just me, those also who God will call to teach here, do so to equip. This is why we so emphasize uh, home groups and small groups. Because in the small group, you're getting reminded of what needs to happen. You're hearing from the one another's going on there. But also, you know what's happening? You get a chance to actually really do. See, we are people, we are people called to gather, to participate with each other, that we might grow in Jesus. This is what we are meant to encourage each other toward. Now, here's the last bit. Based on the last part of, of verse 25 of chapter 10. He says, do this. Don't neglect the meeting together. Be encouraging one another. And notice he says, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What's the day? It's the day of Christ's return. Amen. Now, this might be surprising to some of you how often this idea of encouraging one another, that is, helping people move towards a certain conduct, moves towards a certain direction, how often that is connected in the New Testament to 
the return of Jesus. It's a, it's a very common thing. L- listen to this. In, uh, in one, in fact, this is, this is the, the, last, uh, the last main point is we are people trusting in Christ's return. But, but listen to this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. That's the Lord Jesus. <laughs> the one we sang to, the one that resurrected, the one that ascended to heaven, he's coming back. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout. No wondering if he's in Brooklyn or not. With the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, first the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, this is what's, what's commonly known as the rapture. And there are many, listen, there are many people who love Jesus who deny this is even going to happen. They think this must mean something else. To me, just looking at plain meaning of Scripture, this is talking about a rapture, where people who haven't died kind of go from alive in these bodies to changed alive in new bodies. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 seems to say. Okay? But notice this is the part that you want to notice. Here, here's the encouraging thing that we're supposed to point each other to. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Listen, if you don't find Christ's return encouraging, I don't know what else we have for you. Because here's the truth. Listen, this is what God calls us to as his people, as Jesus followers. Listen, I'm serious about this. That we are called... Uh, we, we are people prone to unbelief. We struggle with these kinds of things. We need to encourage each other towards trusting Jesus. We are called to be people who gather. But a lot of the basis of our encouragement is, guess what? We are still in this place of brokenness. We're still in this place of the already and not yet. And so we long for the day to be completely, re- completely complete. And that only happens when Jesus comes back. Now, what's not necessarily so encouraging is trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. Exactly. So some of the, some, some prophetic, uh, some interest, there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff about what's going on prophetically, trying to connect current events with prophecy. I say this as someone who's taught the book of Daniel twice, verse by verse, taught the book of Revelation three times, verse by verse, um, studied theology for 30 plus years. It's hard to do that. And in my experience, when we try to connect current events with biblical prophecy, it can easily go pear-shaped. I'm not saying it's never accurate, but it can just go pear-shaped, okay? But you know what's always encouraging? Our, this, is, this is important, that the suffering and resurrected Jesus, who we worship, resurrects his people. That one day this corruption's going to put on incorruption. See, one of the things that, that's happened, I think, more, more in, the, in the last couple of years, than I, at least in my experience, in my pastoral experience, I've dealt with more mental health crises in the last two years than I have in the previous 28 years of ministry. It was there, and sometimes it was there more than I wanted to see it, and I didn't deal with it right. But this crisis has been so overwhelming, not just the, not just the issue of, of death, but the issue of separation, the issue of sickness, the, 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 the wondering what's going on in the world, all these things combine together to become overwhelming. 
and expose our vulnerabilities in a way that's just really difficult. And here's the thing. We don't have the answers, and I, I need to be clear about this as well. In fact, if you don't believe me, you can talk to some of the people here. I didn't get the permission, so I can't say who they are. But the people here who, um, have, uh, who are educated in this, in psychologies, in psychiatry, and they will tell you there's some good observations there, but not the answers. We can be helped, and we should, if it's helpful, to utilize medicines, even for behavioral therapy. It's okay. It's good. It's a good thing. Don't have any shame over that. We need that. But the answer is never going to be in a pill. The answer is never going to be in, in just understanding why we do what we do. The answer is always going to be in, you know what? I am broken. And that expresses itself in my mental struggles. And listen, I am going to be resurrected. And I know this because Jesus is resurrected and he's coming back. Comfort one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. I'm not talking trite answers. Don't forget what we said in the beginning. Observe fully. Keep your mouth shut. Listen. Be compassionate. Be patient. You're not a counselor. You're not a psychologist. Most of us aren't even very good Christians, let's be honest. <laughs> We're still struggling to walk with Jesus as we should. But we do have God's spirit within us. We do have the truth of the gospel. We do have the hope of the resurrection. Life is discouraging. It takes from us the courage to take another step forward. The answer is not, you got this. The answer is, God's got us. And let's encourage each other with this. We are people trusted in Christ's return. This, this suffering and resurrected Jesus resurrects his people. But also, listen, this is letter B. The suffering and resurrected Jesus provides salvation for his people. Yeah. Salvation is a bigger word than you think. It sounds like a, it's a very, it's kind of a, it's a televangelist word, really. Salvation. You want to say it with a southern accent or something. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a very, it's a very, it's a churchy word, but it's a glorious word and a glorious truth. And it's bigger and richer than we probably understand. Salvation has to do with being rescued from something, being delivered to something, being placed into something that is good and whole and perfect. Salvation is, is bigger than just, I'm not going to have to go to hell. It's, that is part of it. Thank you, Lord, that is part of it. But it's bigger than that. It's more than that. It's, I get to be with him forever. In fact, listen to this. One of the things about the resurrected Jesus is that, that Jesus really is, listen, he's God's proof that no one gets away with injustice. So this is encouraging. In a world full of injustice, in a world where it feels like it's harder to find people we can trust, in a world where, where the good news is, is that we're... One of the good things that's happening in our culture, and I know this is disturbing and difficult and there's false accusations as well, but one of the good things is we're beginning to realize and be honest about the fact there's a lot of junk that's happened, a lot of abuse that's happened, a lot of injustices have happened, and we're learning to, to, that we have to deal with these things. But again, listen to this. In Acts chapter 17, Paul's preaching to a bunch of unbelievers, a bunch of people who were believed in pagan religions, and he says, God has overlooked people's ignorance about these things in early, earlier times. In the context, it's about the different ways, different false idols and gods they worship. 
But now God commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and to turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Who's the man? And we know that because here's what it says. He proved to everyone, uh, he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. If you're not grieved by the injustice in the world, if you're not grieved by the injustice your neighbors and friends are, have experienced and are experienced, if you don't, aren't honest about the pain you've experienced through injustice, you're missing something about the character of God. But if you think you or us collectively are going to bring justice in, you're missing a main important point of the gospel. Because it's not us who will bring justice. It's the resurrected Christ who brings justice with it. Now, we pursue justice as his followers now. But it's him that we long for. It's him who will come back and judge the nations righteously. Because here's the deal. We don't judge righteously. We judge wrongly all the time. I think I skipped over the verse about take the log out of your own eye on accident. But you can look it up in Matthew chapter 7. But here's the other thing I want you to understand. Not only is, is Jesus God's proof that no one gets away with injustice. Listen, Jesus is God's guarantee that God will not hold our sin against us. Because justice is a two-edged sword, isn't it? That person's wrong. Oops, but so am I. I, I can't stand the sex trade. Oh, but then I look at pornography. I hate corporate injustice. But then I buy clothes from places that exploit it. I'm sick of the fast food advertisements that push us towards sickness and unhealth as we order pizza for the fourth time that week. We're all guilty, aren't we? Some of these things are, are lesser, but as we saw before, we're not honest before God. They can become greater. Here's what the scripture says again. Connected to the Lord's return, we are people who are looking for, longing for Christ's return. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, again, NLT, For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So what do we do? Encourage each other and build each other up just as you're already doing. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I am not saying that our encouragement is just like, well, there's pie in the sky. One day it'll be better. That is not the only way we encourage each other. Because encouragement is not towards just right thinking. It's, towards, it's, it's to, to move people towards right conduct. It is, listen, if God, our God is a God of justice, if our God is a God of mercy, if our God is a God of grace, and all that's proven in Jesus, our gatherings should reflect that. We should say, let's encourage each other to trust this God and walk with him another day, another week. Let's encourage each other to say, Lord, we need you. We want to trust you. We're, we're so tempted to trust ourselves. We're so tempted to not draw near to you. But we want to trust you. How do we respond to this? 
do you know that Jesus will soon return for his people? And this is, this is listen, this is not me making predictions. This is just echoing what the scripture says, like in Romans chapter, I think it's Romans chapter 13, verse 11, I think. It's not on the screen, but it, where, where Paul says, for now your redemption is nearer than it was before. You know why? Another day passed. Now, us old people, we really feel this. <laughs> Bring it on, Lord. <laughs> but, but here's the reality. The, the, with each passing day, we get closer to the Lord's return. If, listen, if the early church, as we just read in Paul's writings to, to the Thessalonians, in Paul's exhortation to comfort each other, encourage each other with the fact that the Lord's coming back soon. If, it was, if they thought, man, Lord, come back now, come back now, how much more us? The, the attitude should not be, well, it's been 2,000 years. She knows how the stuff's going to work. It could be 100 years. We don't know. That's not the attitude of, of Christians in the New Testament. It's always like, come today, Lord. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's how the book ends. We encourage each other that this is not our home. We are sojourners and pilgrims. And we are going to a place where righteousness dwells. The Lord's going to come back and bring heaven and earth together. And when he comes back and heaven and earth is together, all of us will finally have the world we all want. This is what we're inviting people to. You can come know the Jesus who's going to make this happen. If that sounds weird to you, you're missing something in the New Testament. I'm not saying anything about, I'm not saying anything about, Lord, the timing of the rapture. I'm not saying anything about prophecy or the Antichrist. None of that is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, do we encourage each other with this reality? Do you believe he's going to come back soon? Therefore, how do you live your life? Believing Jesus is going to come back soon doesn't mean you don't plan for the future. It means you plan for a future where Christ returns. It means you're not just planning for your retirement. You're planning for heaven to bring as many people with you as possible. And also, here, here's another way that we can respond. I want you to think about who has been an encouragement at, at, to you uh, at church you know, or at your gatherings and how. Uh, think specifically, because you might have a warm feeling about what someone did for you, and that's, that's good, that's, that's totally valid, but try to remember what was it they did or said that you found encouraging. Have a think about that, even now. What, what comes to your mind? How has someone treated you or spoken to you or listened to you or prayed for you or been generous to you or whatever it was that really you thought, man, this makes me want to keep going? And once you consider that, would you consider encouraging them by telling them how they encouraged you? Now, I'm not talking about us becoming a mutual admiration society. <laughs> we all pull each other back. We're so wonderful. Yes, you're wonderful. Oh, no, no. You're more wonderful. Oh, no, no. You're more wonderful. <laughs> I'm not talking about that, but I am talking about this. Listen, here's a, here's a fact of human nature. We replicate what we celebrate. So when we're encouraged by someone, we don't, if we have to make this stuff up, we need to be better encouragers. But when we're actually encouraged by someone, tell them, you know what, it really encouraged me that when I lost my temper with you, you just were gracious to me. It really encouraged me that you called to see how I was doing. It really encouraged me that you let me vent to you. It really encouraged me. You fill in the blank. Tell that person. This gave me, when you did this, it gave me courage to keep walking with Jesus.
Do you celebrate that? With each other, you know what's going to happen? You're going to want to do it, and you're going to want other people to do it to each other. We're going to learn to encourage one another. We're going to learn that. That's going to learn to be a characteristic of our gathering. Lastly, as response, how can you prepare yourself to better give and receive encouragement when you gather with other Jesus followers? Some of you are completely prepared to receive encouragement. You come to church feeling desperate and broken, and you're like, I just need someone's attention. I need help to think again about Jesus. That's okay. We're glad you're here. Some of you come and you will not receive from anybody because you don't want your weakness to be seen. That's not so good. Some of you come prepared to give. Who can I help? Who can I bless? But not prepared to receive. Some of you come prepared to receive, but not prepared to give. So again, let's, let's say, Lord, help me to fully observe, to consider how I can better receive the courage to keep walking with Jesus and better give the courage to walk, continue to walk with Jesus. Help me to show me, Lord, what that looks like. I think one of the ways it can look is, 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 and maybe you guys already do this, and forgive me, it's not me judging, but maybe kind of like you spend a little bit of Saturday night, maybe before you go to sleep, saying, Lord, tomorrow's your day, and I want to be with your people, and help me to know who I'm supposed to minister to and how. That's what you're supposed to do, John. No, no, I'm supposed to equip you to do it too. Maybe it's, it's, it's just like during the week, if you have, uh, have some time during the week, you think about, is there someone, Lord, you want me to call? Someone you want me to pray for? And we consider, how can we help someone keep walking with Jesus? And here's the interesting thing. Here's, the, here's when we see the work of the Holy Spirit as well. Because when we say, God, how and who, and God directs us, and then we go to that person in obedience, I'm telling you, when we're listening to the Lord and we begin to learn to do that, most of the time what happens is people go, man, that was so, thank you, that was so timely. And we see God's activity in our midst because we're looking to one another. Let's not forget the first verses that we read in Hebrews 10 this morning. Here's our motivation. We have confidence to enter the holy places, that is, God's presence, by the blood of Jesus. Jesus is, verse 20, the new and living way. He opened that way for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. In other words, it's, 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 he's using the metaphor of the temple and the holiest place where only the high priest could go once a year. And Jesus has made a way so that we can go right into the holiest of places, not in Jerusalem, but in the New Jerusalem in heaven. Right in the very presence of God, we can go there. Because Jesus tore that temple. He tore that, that curtain in two. And since we have a high priest over the house of God, we're the house of God. Who's the high priest over us? Jesus. Jesus is. Because all these things are true, let us draw near to him. When you seek to encourage someone to walk 
with Jesus. Not only are you helping them draw near, you're drawing near. And we do this in response to who he is and what he's done for us. Amen? Father, I pray that you would help us to grow as a gathering where encouraging one another is a distinctive thing. Uh, Father, we pray your Holy Spirit would show us how to do this, Lord. We, we confess right now, Lord, we're afraid we're going to get it wrong. We, we confess, Lord, right now, we, 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 we don't know what this is supposed to look like. It makes us nervous. Moving towards people is hard. We confess all of that, Lord, to you. But we also want to confess that you're the new and living way. And because you've cleansed us from our sin, we don't have to be condemned by an evil conscience. And Lord, because you've cleansed us, you've given us your Holy Spirit. We, we can believe that we are cleansed and filled vessels. And you tell us to be being filled, to be continually filled. So we pray for that fresh filling of your Holy Spirit because you're with us and because you cleanse us, because what Jesus did was enough. And by his power and for his glory and to build up people so that they walk with him. Lord, help us to do this. Father, do this in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Bless you guys. House groups are on again this week.